0: Bye. Mm-hmm. So, John 9, this is where we're at. One of the more unique chapters in the Gospels, the four books that talk about the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's account, you know, I'll tell you, this particular amount of attention, one chapter given almost entirely to an account of a healing of one person. In this case, a blind man, a man who was born blind, whose name we were never given so it's unique in that way the enti- there's such an amount of layers to his story and we're given such insight into some different things that happen around it so it creates a sort of richness that invites us into it again not going to go over everything that we've been talking about for the past uh, you know, four, to four or five weeks but we started out by looking at John 9 and we started talking about how Jesus heals this blind man and he happened to do it on the Sabbath which was a problem for some people uh, the, the Sabbath was a a commandment from Moses given by God by, to the people of Israel as they were being delivered from Egypt with a mighty hand on the edge of the promised land he gives them this gift of a, of a law of, of a sense of identity we talked about that a lot part of that law had to do with the Sabbath you honor God with one day a week you don't work on that day but as the time had gone on they had taken that principle that was meant to be life-giving and and some of the religious movements at the time of Jesus had squeezed that into a very rigid way of experiencing God and got to the point where they were adding all kinds of layers to what actually qualified as work and so you could violate the Sabbath in a number of ways Jesus had it seems almost intentionally chosen the Sabbath to heal the man who was born blind we talked a lot about that we talked about how Jesus told him and it was one of the only times he ever did this in fact there's nothing he did that was quite like it he told the man as he saw him to put, let him put some mud on his eyes so Jesus made mud with his own spit he made the mud out of the dirt and he put it on the man's eyes and he said he said, now you need to go and wash at the pool of Siloam. Don't wash it off the mud. And when you go to that pool, when you begin to wash the water away from, and, and allow that mud to just be removed, you're, you're going to see something else removed. Your blindness is going to be removed, and you're going to see. He did what he was told, and, and, and it happened. The people were stunned. They, were, they didn't know what to do about it. Those who knew him said, what happened to you? How, how has this happened? He says, I don't know. There was this man named Jesus. He told me to put... He put some mud on my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and I did it, and and I can see. Where is he? I don't know. What does he look like? I don't know. I never saw him, right? I mean, the whole thing is an account. They say, you need to go and talk to the Pharisees, the authorities, the temple authorities. This is an astonishing thing that's happened to you, plus the way that it happened. I think they'll be interested. There's a lot of controversy, as you know, about Jesus. And so they brought him in. And they want to talk to him about what exactly happened to him. They weren't even sure it actually was a miracle. They weren't sure if he was faking. They bring in his parents. You read the early part of John 9. His parents say, you know, he's old enough. He can speak for himself. They're afraid. They don't want to get the authorities upset with them. They know the tension's there. They ask the blind man originally to tell him his story. He tells him all he knows. I don't even know the man. I didn't even know the man. He says he was passing by. He started talking about me, and then he stooped down. And he put this mud on my eyes, and, and he told me to go wash, and I, I did it, and I'm healed. And he tells them the story. And that's when they, they started talking, and they got in this great debate about whether it was legitimate, because Jesus had done it on, on the Sabbath. And then they said, we got to bring in the parents. And so it, it, I want us to sort of read through a portion of what follows, okay? This, that was the setup. We're going to just read, this is only going to be, this is part is not in your handout. It's just, you can follow along your Bible, your Bible app, but we're going to scroll this on the screen, and I want to read through John 9, verses 24 through 33. It says this, so they call this man back in again, and they say, they call him in, and the man who had been born blind, and, and, and been blind, and they told him, but he's now healed, and they said, you know what, after they decided that Jesus had violated the law, and uh, he said, you know, God should get glory for this, right? Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And, you know, that initially catches him off guard because that's the one who healed him. And he didn't know anything about Jesus. He had been listening to them all talk about Jesus. But he says, well, you know, because, again, they call him back. And this is, a, this is a very intimidating group he's standing in front of. At the time, the most powerful men in Jerusalem, outside of Rome, who was occupying Israel at the time, And had a governor whose name you'll recognize, named Pilate, who had to sign off if if you wanted somebody to be put to death. That's why he'll come into play a week later uh, for us. But in terms of this particular situation, this blind man who has been born blind, he doesn't have much of anything. He's been a beggar all his life. He's maybe had some training in some things, some familiarity with a lot of his people. He's standing there. He's been watching them all argue about him, but not so much interested in the fact that he was healed, more about how he was healed and the person who did it. So they say, you know what? We want to talk to you again about the details of your story. We want to hear every detail about what, what he did to you, how he did it the way that he did it. So they called him in for the second time. They said, you know what? We've come to the conclusion this man is not of God. Give glory to God uh, because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. That is, he is a lawbreaker and therefore he is illegitimate in our eyes. And he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But, and we want you to be very clear with us here. What did he do? How did he do it? What was the way he healed you? We need to hear that one more time. Now, what follows is either uttered with utter naivete or is delivered with what I think is the case with a kind of frustrated sarcasm that betrays him for the witty man that I think he was. For what he says next is this. After they say, but what did he do? How did he heal you? Okay, look, the man exclaimed. I, I already told you once, you didn't listen to me. Did you listen? Did you just heal everything that I said? I've been telling this to everybody all day. Why do you want to hear me do it, say it again? I'm not going to tell you anything different than what I've been saying already. I didn't know him. I didn't even know anything about him. Ha. Do you, okay, you know what? Is it because you want to be his disciple as well? Is that what it is? And that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> because it says, and we talked about this last week, that they, that just, like, it was a fuse. the heel lit a fuse. And the dynamite went off. They exploded. See, I already hated Jesus. G- they were already having trouble with Jesus. They, they, the idea that this man would somehow tell them that they should be, who do you think, you're a smart aleck. It says they, they, but they went, but they went ballistic. They cursed him. The word there verbally abused him. They put him down, right? They talked him down. They said, you are his disciple. You're his follower. We are the followers of Moses, the disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't, we don't even know where this man comes from. And then you would think that would have been it. He would have got the message. Maybe I should be quiet. But he's had enough. He's got a streak to him. He says, well, that's amazing amazing to me. And remember who he's talking to. He's a nobody in front of a bunch of somebodies. Well, I think it's kind of unusual. And it's amazing to me. It's very strange. Because you see, he healed my eyes. And yet you don't even know where he comes from. You're supposed to be the one who knows everything in this nation. Now, listen to me. I'm not an expert theologian like you, but I have this understanding. We know that God doesn't listen to those who are sinners, who break the law, but he is ready to to hear those who worship him and do his will. And I'm telling you that ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone who's been born blind. Now, listen, if this man were not from God, how could he do such things? He couldn't have done it. And they answered him, because now he, he was giving them, like, a lesson. And, they, and, we're, and what we're told here is that in, in the 34th verse, you see it. And they were picking right, this is where we pick up in the handout there as well. They answered him and they said, and, and don't miss the feeling and the passion and the anger in these words. You, as they hear him talk about He's basically telling them, "I don't see how you can come to that conclusion based on what you know God does and how God works." They say, "You are completely born in your sins, and you have the uh, you you, and you're teaching us. Get him out of here right now!" The thing is, it's almost like when they say, "You were completely born in your sins," it's almost like they're saying, "Who are you? You are nothing. You're a cursed man." I'm going to take it one more step. You're a piece of garbage. And, 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 and your blindness at birth proves it. You've been cursed from the beginning. Who are you to even attempt to interact with us? You're, you're contemptible, you're pitiful, you're disgusting. Get him out of here, throw him out of here. And they took him and they grabbed him and they put him out physically. They cast him out, it says. They threw him out. <sighs> And I, I tried to imagine it in my mind's eye. I wasn't doing such a great job, but I could see enough to see that I go, man. He got thrown out. Verse thirty-five. This is the verse. I love this verse. Jesus heard. <laughs> he heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, okay. Okay, the news spread. Did you hear what happened to the man who was born blind that used to beg? That guy? Oh, yeah, I heard that he got healed. No. Did you hear what happened to the man who was born blind? Did you hear what happened to him? They took him to the temple. He started mouthing off, and he got tossed and excommunicated. They threw him out. No. Yes. Now, Here's where our imagination gets to come in. Where did he go? It was all about... Okay, you understand. <laughs> he had been healed. He had been healed. He had never seen a thing in his life. He had never seen anything. He had known from day one. Before he even knew what he knew, he had been, he'd seen. he only knew darkness. And then this man, this man he had never seen, actually, Oh, but he had heard his voice. He listened to what he had said, maybe reluctantly initially, but he did it and he'd cooperated and it happened. He could see now, and here's the irony. Oh oh my, I see him sitting. Maybe I found, I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder, and he can't prove it. I wonder if he went back to the same spot where he always had been. You know, I had been his kind of workplace. It's where he had spent so much of his life. It's how he made a living in an age where there was no social structures beyond a family, that's, that's what you did. You begged. And it was his spot. And then I wonder if he went back to his spot. Either way, I know he's alone. He's somewhere where he's, relatively speaking, just been, you understand, he's been, off, he is out. He's been cast out. And I see him going, part of me goes, I see him, okay, I can't believe this. All my life, all my life, I have been an outsider. All my life, I have always been on the periphery, always, always disregarded, cursed I am. And now, I can see, and you know what, I got, I can see, I'm right back where I have always been on the outside, I'm alone. Again, I guess that's what happens to people like me. Right? You see, you see, and then it says, Jesus found him. And I tried, how did that moment go? Where is he? Sitting there, he's crushed. I mean, what was I supposed to do? I mean, they... they they forced me, they forced me. What am I supposed to do? Like like deny the one who, like how was I gonna call him? I couldn't call him, I couldn't call him a, a sinner. I can do, he's the one who opened my eyes. But you're a fool, I mean, you, you would do this. Why don't you just go along with the program and just like let it be, then you'd be accepted. Yeah, but if I yeah, if I do that, I how do I live with myself? I mean, that's the guy who healed me, he opened my eyes. I. This is my life, right? That's what I see him going through, right? And then, and then it says that Jesus finds him. Now, I don't know how he finds him. Is he walking with his group, with a group? I don't know, but I know one thing. He comes to him. Look what it says. He says, he, he comes to him and he says to the blind man, oh, the man who was born blind, whose name we do not know. He says, do you recognize me? Uh, not really, but I kind of recognize your voice. I have a question for you. Do you believe in the Son of God? Do I, believe in the Son? do I believe in the Son of God? Look what he says, right? He says, well, I love the answer. I mean, you gotta, you gotta understand. Okay, just, just say this straight up. This man, when he's asked this question, because he's basically being asked, ask, do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the promised one sent from above? Do you believe in the Son of God? Remember, this man is not an easily manipulated person. I'm just going to have to say it. He's already shown his mettle, in my mind. He won't confess. He is not, he's the guy that won't confess what he doesn't believe. He's already shown it. They did everything they could. They threatened him. They followed through. He still would. He, you're going to make me say what I don't believe. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Tell me to call him a sinner. I, I'm not calling the man a sinner. Not going to happen. He proved his mettle. They threw him out. He he was already revealed as a person who was real and honest, candid, sincere. You can call me many things, but don't call me disingenuous because I'll tell you the truth as I see it. Do you believe in the Son of God? Uh, Well, who is he, Lord, that I may, what? That I may believe in him. I guess so. I, who is he? Who is this? Well, I don't, well, you want to know? I tell you right now. This what Jesus, who had opened his eye? It is <laughs> you. Look at this. You actually, you do know him. I do? Yes, you do. You have both seen him. And you're actually talking to him right now. Look at me, look at me, look at me. You have both seen him and are talking to him now. Oh. And there must have been something about the way Jesus looked into those eyes and into him and through him and into deep down. And it says that he, he said, look at the bomb, oh, look at the confession, look at the confession 38, that's faith confession, Lord, I believe, Lord, I, Lord, I believe, and then faith submission, I I, I worship you, right? He goes from respect to reverence, from acknowledgement to adoration. The word for worship in the original Greek language here is proskenuo. It's the idea of bowing down. And worship. Maybe he grabbed his feet. I don't know what he did. He just worshiped him. I believe, I believe, I believe. Right? There it is. It's powerful. It's beautiful. And this is and it's an invitation he invites us all. It's a confession. He invites every one of us to make a leap. And then Jesus does something that was kind of unexpected. There's a turn again in it because. You would think, okay, that's a great, that's, a real, that's an awesome ending. But Jesus says, he makes another exclamation as this is happening. I can see it almost as, again, see it in your mind's eye. The man's worshiping him. He's worshiping him. And then Jesus says this. And I imagine by this point, there's a people around him. We know there were. We know a group had gathered around him. Some of the Pharisees had gathered around him to watch what was happening. There were people there. And Jesus then, as this is happening, says, for judgment, I have come into this world. It's powerful. It's as if he said, my coming, my coming forces people to decide. Each must make up his own mind to receive me or reject me. There can be no middle ground, no neutrality. For judgment, I have come into this world. And in a sense, whenever we come face to face with Jesus, we are forced to make a decision. And that decision has eternal consequence attached to it. And then Jesus, watch what happens. Do you see it? He marvelously switches the metaphor. I can turn. He turns it around and pushes it out into a broader spiritual application. He says, I tell you, for judgment I have come into this world. Then watch what he does. Think about everything. This has been about what? It's been about seeing. It's been about opening up eyes. He says, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see you may be made blind. Those who've had the privileged place should have known me, but rejected me. In their pride, they are made blind by their unbelief and their decision to reject me. And the eyes of faith, I've opened up in this man. And you know what Jesus is almost saying? What a reversal of fortunes this is. The last May 1st. And the blind now sees. And he sees in two ways. Two ways. Eyes. And he sees me for who I am. And you, you will have nothing to do with me. Right? And, and, and some are watchfully, watch, and they're listening, and, and they're kind of getting the impression, hey, he's talking about us. They, it says they perceive the meaning of his words. And they say, and look at verse 40, what it says, it says, some of the Pharisees were there and they said, wait a second. When they heard these words, wait, are, are you saying we are blind as well? And Jesus says, oh, I wish you were blind. It would be better if you were. Because then you would have no sin. In other words, you would not be guilty if you didn't understand. Oh, I wish you were ignorant. In this case, there would be some excuse be your reaction to me. But now you say, we see. There's a, there it is again. It's all movement around sight. You say, we see. But I tell you, because of that, you say you have the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God, that you know what God is doing. And I have come. I have come here in his name. I have come in before your very eyes. You should know who I am. And you, and you reject me. Then I tell you, you say you see, but your sin remains because of it, because of what you have chosen to disbelieve. It would have been better for you if you, if you said you could not see. But because you say you can see, and you reject me, then your sin remains, I tell you that. It's powerful. He said, I only wish it were so. Now that got me thinking about a couple of things. I just want to leave it here with us, because this is how I kind of work into his, I, I like the word, I look at it, and I go, okay, Lord, that's, what, can, what does that say to me right now? What does it say to you? What, what can we hear? Um, let me put this up there. I'm going to suggest something. Jesus is a special friend, I hope you love it as much as I do, of the outcast and the broken, uh, to the wounded and the forsaken. And that's just, that's just good. He He went and found him. That's just good news, loved ones. He loves to find us in our broken spaces and in our rejected places, in our place of greatest need and wounding, wherever it may be, in the lonely place. And we can have a lot of people around us and have something very painful going on inside and feel very alone. And I think of the tenderness of Jesus. I think of the tenderness of Jesus and the way he comes. You know, in Psalm 34, 18, it says, look at this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. You see this? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. (laughs) And saves, have you ever had your spirit crushed? I mean, the the blind man was, was cast out. I mean, that's it. So you think of the word downcast and cast, he was cast out. He was rejected. He was like, he was diminished, diminished and tossed and ridiculed and scorned. And he's sitting there rejected. And if any of us have ever known what rejection feels like, we might have it right now. There might be elements of it that we've experienced. If you haven't lived long enough to experience it, I'm telling you, it hurts. It hurts. And he felt utterly rejected. Worthless, actually. And unloved. What a fool I am. And Jesus finds him in his rejection. And I still think and believe that the Lord will always meet us in our most rejected places. He will meet us there. If you've been hurt or are hurting, feel pushed aside or passed over, he comes and he meets us. And he... He comes to the crushed in spirit, that's what he does. And I love that, I love that. You know, in the the man who had been born blind, the one who had been healed, his, his, his rejection actually was directly connected to his refusal, think about this for a moment, his rejection was connected to his refusal to reinterpret Jesus. I think some of us may have to deal with some of that in our work environments. There's always a lot of pressure to reinterpret Jesus in a way that it conforms with the dominant view of what he is. And in his case, he was being put under intense pressure to go along with the program, right? Go along with the program. You get the blood, just go along with the program. You know what? We, we rejected him. You reject him too. Um, you know, we're with Moses. This man's a sinner. Just go with the program. Go with the program. And you're okay. I can't, but, and there's pressure at times. And he got rejected because he would not reinterpret Jesus the way that they found acceptable, He interpreted him in a different way as he experienced him. And for that, he was pushed aside. And I noticed the Lord finds him in that rejected moment. And, you know, I was thinking about this. They they cast him out of the temple, and the Lord of the temple found him. They cast him out of the temple, and the Lord of the temple found him. It has been said that Jesus is ever true to those who are true to him. In fact, it was to this loyal and rejected man, it was listen to me. It's one of the few recorded occasions where Jesus reveals himself as the Son of God. And it was to this man, this rejected loyal man. I love that. And that led me to something else. It got me thinking as well. You know, sometimes and I alluded to this a couple weeks back, I can't remember which message it was, but sometimes faith is a progression, it's a process. Do you see what's going on here? Do you, do you like so, embrace, sometimes embracing Jesus is a process? Do you see, um, you can I think you can see what happened? Okay, remember it starts out they say to him, the neighbors come to him and they say who healed you and he says I actually don't know who he was I know his name was this this man this man named Jesus so his first confession of Jesus is he's, he's this man. Now, later on, I think it was in verse 17, he gets to the point where they, he's brought before the, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, or at least a, at least a portion of it, and, the, and the, the temple authorities, and he's being interrogated. We just read about it. And they ask him, we call him back in, and he's been listening to them talk about Jesus. This person, he's only initially called a man. And then all of a sudden, he's going, hmm. You know, they ask him, well, who do you say he is? And he says, well, you know, I, I've been listening to this, I've been thinking about it. I have to believe, actually, I think he's a prophet. I believe he's a prophet of God. So he, so he starts out with, he's, a man, I, he's a, this man. Next thing you know, he's thinking more hard about it, and he's listening, and he's going, I believe he's a prophet of God. Now do you see where he gets to? Where's he at here? I believe you're the son of God. A man, right? A prophet, the son of God, my Savior. Some of us this is what this reminds me. Some of us are in process. I've been doing this now enough for a number of years to where I go, ooh, I've come not to underestimate the power of some people coming along the way. I've, I've watched people come into church, sometimes at an Easter time, because if somebody brought them a friend, a coworker, worker they didn't even want to go, family member, I'll do it for you. Show up. I don't know, who's Jesus? To me, he's nothing. Eh, church thing. He's a man, you know, whatever, a good man. Someone starts hanging around a little bit, start listening, listening. Hmm, I should think Jesus is from God. And then somewhere along the way, we get to a point where maybe some of us are even there right now, where we go, I think, I think I believe that he is the Son of God. I think I believe he's come to give his life I, I think I confess him right it's a pro, it, and so wherever we are I'm okay with that I, I think the Lord wants to get us here who knows this might be the way we may, we may say Lord I believe in our heart even now could ha, just that, that confession of I receive you I, I believe in you I accept you I worship you and last thing I'll say and I'll leave it with this um, this is, this is the one, I'm gonna just say, Jesus longs to find us. aha. And in a way, it, it's everything he has come to do and everything the cross and Easter are all about, right? Because Jesus said that the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And his love, the same love that caused him to pursue the man who was cast out is the same love that pursues us. He gives himself away. We were lost and he found us. Uh, by the way, he still pursues us. <laughs> he never stops. Uh, you, oh, the reason I say it's a big deal is when I look at this account, who, who pursued who? Did the blind man say, hey, man, I just got thrown out. I'm going to go find this Jesus and talk to him. Did he say to somebody, Hey, can you go find Jesus for me and bring him over here? Because I'd like to talk to him. I've been really feeling bad about what happened. I sure appreciate his support. No, he didn't even think about it. He says, Jesus found him. Loved ones, that's you and me. Let us never forget who first loved us, who made the first move. God did. He did. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever would receive him, believe in him, would have life now and overflowing. That, the first move, he found us. He found us. He still finds us. He didn't come as a result of being sent for it. He's the initiator. Grace is a gift. Um... How do I repay you, Lord? How do I repay you for that? How do I repay you for finding me, still keeping, pursuing me even now? Even when I want, how do I, I? I, know what I can do. I can give you back me. I can. How can I honor you, Lord? I can. I can love you back. I can receive what you want to give me. Uh, I can't. I didn't start it, but I can answer it. You come to me. I can receive. I can say yeah. I can love you back by the way I live. You know, we talk about our mission statement, our church mission statement, right? We talk about the idea of living out our faith in Jesus in ways that are real and tangible and inviting others into life with him, right? That's one way we can do it. You know what? This Easter week is an opportunity to let him know how much we love him. I thank you for finding me. And I thank you that even when I'm in my hardest places, you still find me. You know what, Lord? I'm going to love you. I'm going to remember you. Always remember Jesus, Jesus. Always keep him on your mind. Right? That. This Easter time, people all over the world, every part of the world, are turning to think and mark the moment of his death and his resurrection. Let's do that. Let this week be important for us, let it be different. Let's make some intentional moments to maybe reread his story, rethink about it. On Thursday, we think about how he said to people, This is his people, this is my body broken for you, my blood poured out for you. How he washed their feet, he said, if you do, if you, While they were arguing, and he said, He is greatest among you, let him be a servant. What did he show us about how to live life, how to love people, right? he says that he, having loved him john says he having loved them he loved them to the end that's the love that finishes in an age of abandonment there's a model for finishing having loved them he loved them to the end how, that's what they saw how do i how do i respond to that you know think about you need know, to think about that Friday. We think about Good Friday. Why is it good? It's only good because his cross was done, because he gave his life for us out of love. We want to remember the cross. And then we get to Easter, remember the love that doesn't quit, that is greater than even death and any any sin, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that the one who died rose again and therefore killed, killed death with it. It's not just life to come, but life in the present he offers all of us abundantly and overflowing even in our weakest places and most vulnerable zones. He loves us where we are. He finds us. How can I repay you, Lord? I can't. But I can give you myself, my imperfect self. I can do it. And I can talk about you and I can invite people into your story. I can do that. Let's pray. So, Lord, as we as we think about the amazing love that you have for us and how overwhelming it is, really. I'm overwhelmed by your love and I'm overwhelmed by your devotion and I'm overwhelmed by your mercy in an era and age filled with pride and broken promises here is one worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship who is so great and yet finds us and meets us where we are in our broken places anytime we felt that rejection in our heart you will find us When we are broken, you will find us. When we are crushed in spirit or ashamed, you will find us. I'm overwhelmed by you, Lord, I love you. May our love for you grow this week. May we celebrate what you've done. In Jesus name, I pray this Lord.